All right, all right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Metro Praise International Church. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord. Who's excited this morning? All right. If we can all please stand, we want to thank you for joining us here this morning as we also dedicate babies this uh, Sunday sermon. I'm sorry, this Sunday morning uh, service. We'll be having a baby dedication for those family and friends that are here just for that. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we appreciate every single person here this morning. We like to always start out with a, with a testimony. This morning we have a sister, Carmen, coming up. For those who don't know me, my name is Pastor Bear, one of the pastors here on staff. Let's give Carmen a hand as she comes up, everybody. She's going to testify. Good morning, Metro Praise. As uh, Pastor Bertel said, my name is Carmen, and I am a deacon here at Metro Praise International, and I am also part of our youth group here on Friday night. So I just wanted to share um, a little testimony with you guys today. Um, a lot of times we, we forget that just because we are believers that we still face a lot of trials and tribulations in our life. And recently our family faced a, um, a trial, and it was one of those trials where it's like, okay, there's nothing you absolutely nothing you can do to get out of this on your own. So we had to just sit and wait for God to show up and to provide. And um, at first, I was really tempted to um, to worry, you know, to worry a lot because I get that's human nature is first to worry. And then I had to be reminded that, you know, God's got me. He's got the situation. It didn't catch him off guard. And it was, a, it was a trial that lasted a little longer than I would have liked, but God knows what he's trying to teach us through these trials. And I was amazed at... Um, how my children went through the trial and that was really a testimony to me because they didn't complain they weren't frustrated and as a parent I'm like how is this gonna affect them but the fact that they went through it with such grace and they just went with the flow and they enjoyed being with us as far as like my husband and I through the trial and it really was a testimony to me and to my faith and it was a reminder that I'm supposed to have that childlike faith because they look at me and they're like mom you know we aren't concerned we're not worried because we trust you and we trust God. So it was a reminder to me about trusting God. And one of the verses um, that I kept going through during this trial was Philippians 4.12. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then I looked up the, the definition of the word content and it talked about, uh, de the definition is this, in a state of peaceful happiness. So this is just a reminder to me that, you know, through the trials, through the storms, through the tribulations, I'm to be content because I know who controls the situation. I know who's got me. And God, as he always does, he brought us out of the trial and the tribulation. At the end of it, my kids looked at me and said, you know what? It, it shouldn't have taken that trial to bring us closer together as a family, to cause us to spend this much time together. It was really eye-opening. And we learned a very, very... Um, a good lesson through that trial about coming together as a family and just it allowed us to focus on each other so I just want to encourage you if you're going through a trial right now first of all you're not going through it alone and it didn't catch God off guard okay he has got you he has got you in the palm of his hand and he is in control of it all my encouragement to you is find peace and contentment through that trial so when you look back you know even though I went through that I went through that with joy and I learned something through that trial okay let's pray guys Heavenly Father I thank you Lord for 
your peace, your love, your joy, Lord God. I thank you, Lord, for the trials and tribulations we experience, Lord God, that bring about perseverance, Lord God, and they grow um, different characteristics in us, Heavenly Father. I pray today, Lord, for us, Lord God, as a congregation, for those that are going through trials and tribulations, I pray, Lord God, that your peace would abound, Lord God. I pray for contentment through the trials, Lord God, so that when the trial is over, Lord God, they will know, Lord God, that they went through it with joy, Heavenly Father, and they know, Lord, looking to the end, that there will be victory, Lord. Have your way today in worship, Lord. We invite you here. Have your way in the Word. Lord God, have your way, Lord God. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.
of the Lord every day on this Sunday Sing this out with me again, okay? 
atmosphere changing now for the spirit of the Lord is here the evidence is all Oh, no.
neighbors will live. Your parents will live. Your children will live. Come on. Because it's your bride. up your hands all across this room. Great are you, Lord. God. Are you guys glad you came to worship Jesus this morning? Oh, he's so good. Great are you, Lord. You are awesome in this place, oh God. And we celebrate your victory. We celebrate, oh God, because you won. You rule today. You rule and reign over the earth. You rule and reign over this universe, Jesus. And we thank you, oh God, that you hold all things in your hands. You hold us in the palm of your hand, oh God. Hallelujah. We love your presence in this place, Jesus. Church, we need to pray for our country. As we worship our King this morning, we remember the state that America is in, and so I want us to intercede for this great land. Our land needs healing. Our land needs unity. It needs the peace of Jesus Christ. So if you could lift up your hands all across this place, we need the atmosphere to change in our nation. 
We need a spirit of God to fall like it's fallen in this room, like it has fallen in our hearts. We need it to fall and wipe over every corner, every mountaintop, every river, every city, every valley in the name of Jesus. So I want you to begin to cry out for your nation. Come on, come on. Lift up your voices and cry out for peace. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, we ask you to come. Come and bring healing to America. Come and bring unity. Devil, we rebuke you. We cast you out of this land. We bind up every lie, every scheme, every demonic spirit that has been loosed over our nation to bring violence, to bring division in the name of Jesus. And we plead your blood. Come on, plead the blood of Jesus over America. He is mighty to save. You are mighty to save, oh God. You heal our land, Jesus. Come on, change the atmosphere in our nation. Change the atmosphere in Chicago. Change the atmosphere in California. Change the atmosphere in Philadelphia. In the name of Jesus, we plead the blood over our cities, over this nation. Come on, sing it out. Let your will be done, oh God, on this earth like it is in heaven. Righteousness, come. Healing, come. Unity, come. Love, come. your presence oh God we love your presence oh Lord we want your presence we want your rule in our land heal broken hearts heal the ones that are hurting and are broken bring peace let the church arise in this time let the church arise in this time and be the voice of reconciliation be the voice of truth and be the voice of peace I want us to close this time out of worship and prayer and intercession for our nation with just the voices. Let's sing that song. Hallelujah. He's won the victory. Let's sing it out a cappella first. You guys know that our hope is in Jesus Christ. He hasn't lost his rule. He hasn't lost his reign. He is our champion. And let our hearts rest at peace knowing that he is in control hallelujah jesus
Jesus. Come on, with the instruments now, lift up your voices. Let's sing it one more time over our land, over America, over the cities, that Jesus reigns, that he rules, that he controls. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you for the cross today. We thank you that the cross symbolizes your victory, O oh God. And because you died and rose again, that we could rise and be victorious with you, Jesus. We thank you for your peace. We thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. You give peace, O oh God, beyond our understanding that guards our hearts and guards our minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for righteousness today. And we thank you, Lord, that you are in control, that you, all, that you know all things. You know the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end, oh God. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the author of life, and we worship you, and we thank you today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Woo, he is so good. He is awesome. Give your neighbor a high five. As you find your way to your seat, we thank you for joining us at Metro Praise International this morning. We welcome you guys all. Thank you for worshiping the Lord with us, especially if this is your first time here. At this time, every week, we like to present the message of salvation to you, the simple message that Jesus saves the good news that Jesus came to take our place so that we could have life and life eternally. For those that may not know who I am, my name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders here. And I'm going to preach the gospel to you this morning from John chapter 6, verse 35. 
Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This message is for those of you in this room this morning who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You have not come to him and asked him to forgive you of your sins. You have not repented for living your life your own way. You have not called him your Lord and your master. I want to let you know today that if you're hungry for something more than this world has to offer you, if this world has left you thirsty, you've tried everything, people have let you down, your family, your friends, society, if you are hungry and you are thirsty today for something real, your spirit, your soul is crying out for meaning, for a place to belong, for a hope that is eternal. You're crying out for something that this world cannot give you. I want to let you know that the answer is found in Jesus Christ. And he promises that if we come to him, we won't hunger anymore. And if we believe in him, we won't thirst anymore because in him are rivers of a living water to refresh your soul. So I want to challenge and encourage you today to get right with Jesus. If you're doing things your own way, if you're not following the commands of Scripture, the commands that are clearly stated out of how God wants us to live our life, pleasing and holy unto Him, then you're not right with God today. And you can be. But because He extends His mercy and His grace, He did it for you on the cross 2,000 years ago. And He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he does not show favoritism. If you come to him believing that he came to die on the cross for your sins, believing that he is the son of God, the savior of the world, and you repent and turn from your ways, he will save you. So with all eyes closed all across this room, if you are a believer today, I want you to pray. Pray for those that keep rejecting this message. Pray for those who feel like it's not for them. And I want to pray for you right now. If you're not right with God, the Bible says if you have not been born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. If this message has spoken to you and you feel convicted of your sin, if God is knocking on the door of your heart, I want you to pray and come into agreement as I pray for you and say, Jesus, take my life. I repent of my sins. I turn from my wicked ways. I want to follow you. Jesus, I thank you for every single person in this room who gets to hear this gospel message of salvation. I pray for those that are not right with you today that they would humble themselves before you and say, Jesus, I want you. I believe in you. I come to you. I don't want to thirst anymore. I don't want to be hungry anymore. I pray that they would find themselves in you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Please stand up to your feet with me at this moment. If you prayed that prayer and you mean business with God today and you want to turn your life around, you want Jesus to change you, we have prayer workers right here, Joselito and Cynthia, and they would love to pray with you. In just a few moments, we will dismiss and have some fellowship time. There will be loud party music. I want you to find your way up here and ask them how to get plugged into the church so you could be a disciple of Jesus. At this time, we're going to recite our confession of faith together as a church. This is our Christian worldview. This is what defines us. And there's brothers and sisters in the Lord all across the world that stand on these truths. We're not the only ones. 
So let's recite it on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation and his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Woo! Won't you guys take some time, greet your neighbor, shake somebody's hand, have some fun.
Welcome to Metro Praise International. You guys excited you came to church this morning? Come on, make some noise if you're excited. Woo, I'm not convinced. You guys can make your way back to your seat. Thank you for joining us. If this is your first time, welcome. Please keep on coming back, inviting your friends and your family. Our services here at MPI are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service. So we have King's Kids in the back for our children, ages infant to 11 years old. And then we have Elevate. Come on, Fridays at 7 p.m. This is our youth service for students 11 to 18. So if you're in that age group, please come on by. Friday nights here at MPI is the place to be. How are you guys excited about the Christmas service coming up? Come on, it's right around the corner. We have talent show auditions for that service. So if you are in the 201 class, a deacon or an elder, talent show auditions for our Christmas service is November 20th at 3.30 p.m. If you have any questions about that, please see Pastor Jerry or Adam for more detailed information. So mark that in your calendar. Talk to them if you want to know anything else. And then we have our Thanksgiving outreach. Isn't it crazy that Thanksgiving is right around the corner? I cannot believe it. So why don't you guys join us that morning here at MPI, November 24th, 10 a.m. We're going to meet here, and we'll drive together as a church family to the west side. We've adopted that area. We consider it kind of like... An, you know, adopt a block type thing by Ohio Park, where we've just invested so many years in that to, into that community, bringing the children here on Wednesday nights. So we want to partner with a church there. Uh, I thought the church name was there. So we're going to partner with a church there in the community and help them serve their people there in the community. All the, you know, all the visitors and the neighbors are surrounding there, giving them a wonderful Thanksgiving meal. So if you want to do that Thanksgiving morning with your family, meet us here at 10 a.m. How many of you guys excited that Metro Praise has a vision? Come on, vision of loving God and loving people. Our strategy here at MPI is to connect, mentor, and to send you out. We want to connect you to the church through our life groups. We want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism, to preach the gospel on the streets, and to share the message of Jesus with everybody around you. And our goal by doing all of that is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Look to your neighbor say, that's awesome. So we want to get you guys connected. If you have not connected to MPI yet, I want you to look at your handout and see the schedule of all of our life groups. Up at the screen is a snapshot of what we have going on for this week. So kicking it off today is our Single Moms Life Group. Come on, give it up for our single moms. Child care is always provided. Be here at the church at 5.30. Tuesday, we have the Resistance Youth Life Group. Come on. Wednesday, the King's Kids Life Group. Give it up for our children. Royal Rangers for boys. Impact for girls every Wednesday here at 6.30. Thursday is our gang outreach. Come on and join them here at the church, 7 p.m., uh, Fridays, we have two adult Bible studies, one at the Govea's house, the other one at the Vivid's house. you got to be 18 years and older, 7 p.m. Be a part of this Bible study, guys. Get refreshed throughout the week. Get encouraged by the fellowship of other brothers and sisters in the Lord, and get refreshed in the Word of God. Then we have Saturday, the Ambassadors Youth Life Group. They're excited. Here at the church, 1 p.m. So, so much going on. There's a place for you to get connected and feel like you belong with your family. Then we want to mentor you. Look to your neighbor say, get mentored. We have the 101 book that's called Welcome to Your New Life. 
This is done one-on-one -on -one with leaders in the church of your choosing, and you just do it one-on-one, -on -one, share life together, meet wherever you want to meet, however many times you want to meet, and we are able to encourage you and push you to be all that God has called you to be as a disciple for Jesus. And when you graduate the 101, you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples, where we train you to be a leader in the church so that one day you could be ordained as a deacon or an elder. Then we want to send you out. Somebody say send. Here every Saturday is from 5 to 8. We hit the streets preaching the gospel, street witnessing to complete strangers because we believe that the great commission that Jesus gave to us in the book of Matthew said go. Somebody say go. Go and make disciples of all the nations. So we follow that command very seriously here. We are very passionate about evangelism, very passionate about making disciples. And so if you've never done it, I want to encourage you to do it. It will strengthen and encourage you in your faith. And the Bible says that he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And we believe that is the best way to do that by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with this dying world around us. So in recap, MPI has a vision, a strategy, and a goal. A vision of loving God and loving people a strategy to connect, mentor, and send, and a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Can I get a hallelujah? hallelujah. Give it up for Jesus. God is awesome. How many of you guys excited to give your tithes and offerings today? Onto the Lord as an act of worship. We believe that the scripture teaches that a tithe is 10% of our income given regularly to the church. And also an offering is above the tithe. That amount is between you and the Lord. And the Bible shows us that we must give it with a generous and cheerful heart. So let's get into our lesson on giving today. You can click on the link at the Metro Praise Facebook page if you want to follow along or look up at the screen. Lesson four, overcoming discouragement. How many of you guys have been discouraged ever in life before? Come on, that's why we put our hope in Jesus. This section is all about hindrances. So today we're learning about the hindrance of discouragement and how to overcome it. A hindrance is something that prevents us from being obedient to God's commands. So let's read in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Look to your neighbor say, don't give up. That is so important. Let's read the three main points from that verse. Number one, don't get weary in doing good. We should never get tired and discouraged in following God's commands because they are life-giving to our souls. However, you may get tempted to get discouraged and give up because you don't see changes in your finances. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the encouragement and energy to remain faithful. Remaining faithful to God's commands is not based on our feelings. Our feelings will mislead us. Feelings in some ways are good, but in other ways, if all we do in life is based on our feelings, well, I don't feel like tithing. I don't feel like following this command. We will be misled and we are doomed to destruction, my friends. Do not follow God based on your feelings. You follow God based on faith. And when you remain faithful, God will make you fruitful. Come on. Let me get an amen for that. Tweet that like Joe says. Tweet that. Number two, at the proper time. God promised there is a proper time that we will be blessed because of our giving. But if we don't give generously all the time, we will miss that time of blessing. Therefore, be consistent in your giving all the time and get ready for harvest time. Tweet that. Number three, those 
who don't give up reap a harvest. You may have a hundred excuses to be discouraged and not be a giver all the time. But one reason should encourage you to never give up your love for God. Out of your love for God, be encouraged to never give up being generous because God's blessings are coming your way. Remain faithful. Do not allow discouragement to rob you of your fruit. Amen. To rob you of your blessing, of your inheritance, of the harvest that is coming your way. You encourage yourself in the Lord. Stay faithful to God and his commands. Stay true to his word and God will show up and show off in your life. And here's a summary of this lesson. Overcome discouragement by being encouraged by God's promise that you will reap a harvest. Come on, just don't give up. Let's apply this to our life. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income and your offerings, anything you give after the tithe. Number two, repent if you have allowed fatigue and discouragement to prevent you from being consistent in your giving to God. And three, Ask God to encourage and strengthen you to never give up in doing good so you can reap a harvest at the proper time. That gets me excited, guys. Come on. If that gets you excited and you want to preach that, shout it from the rooftops. Let's confess this on the count of three. One, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. Please stand up with me on your feet this morning. Let's prepare to give the Lord our best today. Again, a tithe is 10% of our income given regularly to the church. An offering is above the tithe, and we designate that here towards missions and towards building fund throughout the year. Here are four ways that you could give at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering time. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. You can see Pastor Griselda if you have any questions about that today. And four, you can go online and use Chase QuickPay, PayPal, or BillPay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. Let's recite this Bible verse together. Philippians 4, 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your blessings. We thank you, O oh God, that you have made it possible for us by your Holy Spirit, by the power of God to be faithful in keeping your commands. It is not something that we do on our own. You have empowered us to do it. So I pray against any discouragement. I pray, oh Lord, that we will stay true and faithful to following hard after you, being faithful with the tithe and the offering and trusting that at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So we fix our eyes on you today, Jesus, the author and perfecter and finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please come forward today as you give, and we thank you so much for your generosity.
All right, how many are ready for a baby dedication? Thank you. We're actually going to have quite a bit. Brother, would you do me a favor and move this to this side, just right there front for me, please? Thank you. Let's give it up for Curtis helping out, making dreams come true. Let's uh, put up one of these lights for me, please. Before we get into the baby dedication, I want to share with you why we do baby dedications. i got a scripture I want you guys all to look at. Uh, this scripture is found in the book of Proverbs. It's very important for us to remember when it comes to doing baby dedications, why we don't do baby baptisms. Guys, can I get the lights on over here? Thank you. Uh, it's found in the book of Proverbs, and they're going to put it up here on the screen for us. I'll get it on my Bible. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. And uh, how many were ever raised in such a way, you don't have to raise your hand, but think about this, you were raised in such a way as to have baby baptisms. You don't have to raise your hand, but you were raised in that way. Well, the thing about baby baptisms is it's not found in the Bible, okay? How many want to do things that are just found in the Bible? Amen. So things that are found in the Bible, we should do. Things that are not found in the Bible, we shouldn't do. So should I dress up, wear a collar, meet you in a dark closet, and have you confess all of your naughty sins to me and call me father? Do you want to do that? Now, the idea of that may be precious to you because your family members might have taught you that. Like most of us here, we've had family members teach us that at some point. Now, thankfully, my parents got saved before I had to go through that. So I actually was brought up in a church like this where my dad was an altar boy. My dad served in his church. My grandmother went to church not once a week, but every single day, every single day, went to the Catholic Mass. Are you listening to me, okay? But here's the thing. Show me where I need to dress up, number one. Show me where I need to go into a dark closet, number two. And show me where in that dark closet you need to confess your sins to me. You have 66 books in your Bible right now. You can find it. When you get it, you tell me what to do. Does everybody get that? Okay, now it's the same thing with baby baptisms. We love babies, and we want to affirm babies, and we want to pray for babies. But show me one place, 66 books of the Bible, Old and New Testament, show me one place in the entire Bible where Jesus baptized a baby. Did it, can anybody think of one? No. So why do these traditions start? Why do these traditions come into our ministry or to our churches? Well, what happens is men make up rules, and then they tell other men to follow them, okay? And when we start listening to men's rules more than we listen to God's rules, we find ourselves empty on the inside. We find ourselves not happy. They're going to get the lights on. This is a little technical difficulty. Listen to me. We find ourselves disappointed. Because men will always disappoint us. But if we follow God's rules, thank you, gentlemen, we will never be disappointed. So that's why we don't do anything that's outside of the Bible and teach it as a tradition. It may be a cool tradition. It may have been something that you were, were done as a child with good motives, you know, like doing the sign of the cross. That, that, that comes with a good motive. We want to remember the cross. Show me one time where the disciples made the sign of the cross. Just one time, 66 books of the Bible. Some of you are offended and wish you didn't come to support your family's baby dedication right now. But I'm teaching you, at least when you leave and you go see Father Tom, you'll have something to learn, uh, talk about because you've learned something in here today, okay? Now, for the rest of us, we shouldn't be mad at Father Tom. I'm not angry at Father Tom. I'm just praying that Father Tom stops teaching stuff that's not in the Bible. 
Whatever's in the Bible, we're going to do. Once again, does it ever show us in the Bible to pray to a statue on behalf of a saint or a mother, the mother of Mary or Jesus? Does it ever show like Peter, like, uh, like it tells a story, like Mark went to go visit Peter, and there Peter was whittling a little statue of Mary. And as Peter finished the statue of Mary, they put some candles before it, prayed to it. Does it ever tell you a story like that? As a matter of fact, it tells you the opposite of those stories in the Bible. It tells you the opposite, that God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So if I want to be a worshiper to God, first got to be spiritual. Everybody go spiritual. First got to be spiritual. i got to make it here, not out here for you, not in my clothes I wear, the hairstyle, whatever. i got to make it spiritual. And then the second thing, if I want to worship God, i got to do it in truth. So let, let's make it applicable to marriage. If you want to love, like my, I'm a husband and I want to love my wife as a good husband, I want to love her with my heart and in truth. Now, I do want to love her with my spirit, but once again, I don't want to, I want to separate her from God. God really gets the worship of my spirit, but she gets my heart. Does everybody get that? And I still love Jesus with all my heart, but I just want to give the example. So I, I love and serve my wife with all my heart and with truth. Now, if all I have is heart, all I have is emotion, but I have no truth. We're not going to have a relationship. And so what, what that may look like is I go, baby, I love you. You're just the best. You know, Margaret, you've always been there for me. And all of a sudden she looks at me and she goes, who's Margaret? I'm not Margaret. My name is Nancy. False. Wrong name. Wrong person. Does everybody get that? Hello? And, and so if I divorce truth from my love from, with my heart, I don't have true love for her. And so if I, if I come to God and I divorce truth from my spiritual worship and I go, Mary, I just want you to talk to Jesus for me today. And Peter, you do something. St. Bartholomew, God's sitting over here going, hey, my name is Jesus. I said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So everybody get that because it's divorce from truth. Now, let's say you have truth, but all you have is just anger, and you just, you're just right all the time, and, and you're just right, and you got to let everybody know. So put that with my marriage again. I come home, and I go, baby, I'm the man. I am the man of this house. You better get to cooking for me. You better get to cleaning for me. You better go back and take care of them kids, rub my feet. That's truth, baby. I'm the man. How do I know that's not going to work? Because there's no heart in that. There's no love in that, right? And so sometimes you see these people talking about, you're going to hell. You're going to burn in hell. Now, there's some truth. Maybe there's a, you know, the truth that they're saying that sinners go to hell. But all they're doing is just making truth like it's a, like it's a vegetable and shoving it down your mouth and making you eat. It has no heart, right? It has no passion. Jesus wasn't walking around telling everybody you're going to hell all the time. That wasn't his message. His message was God so loved the world. And so when we come to church, we don't just go, I love God, I love God, and it doesn't matter how I live, and it doesn't matter if I keep the commands or not. I just love God, and I make up stuff. I make up stuff all the time. No, and at the same time, it's a, if you just come to church and go, I love God, hey, I love God, it's like your face doesn't know what your heart's saying. You look at your neighbor and say, let your face know what your heart believes. <laughs> That's just another way of saying smile every now and then. If you got something in here, it should be happening out here, Amen. So we don't divorce them. But look at what the Bible does teach us to do. The Bible does teach us to train up our children and to train them in the ways of the Lord so that when they're old, they won't depart. And so that when it's their time, 
And God gives our children a chance to themselves repent and be born again, then they can make that decision. They can come to Christ. And that's what's beautiful about Christianity is it's not something that you hand down to your children and it makes them that. No, they have to choose it for themselves. And so look at this scripture. Start children off on the way they should go, Proverbs 22, 6. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. That's the best thing that we can do for our children. And the Bible says in another place that the kingdom of heaven belongs to our children. So here's where I think the baptism came in. This is where I think it kind of started if you study history, is that people wanted their children to go to heaven. It's like, man, if anything happens to my child before they're old enough to repent of their sins, I want to make sure they were baptized. I want to make sure they're going to heaven. But the Bible already said that was taken care of. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven belongs to these. So God is not unfair and unjust and going to punish children for sins that they couldn't even confess or for things that they didn't even know were wrong. God is compassionate to them. So it's not all dogs go to heaven. Their dog, your dog doesn't have a soul. Your dog goes into the dirt and becomes dust, okay? But all children go to heaven, all children around the world. That's the God that I serve. And I believe then he gives children a chance as they become conscious young adults to make their decision. And so do I believe teenagers are on hell? Yeah, I believe teenagers are in hell. I believe some of my friends who loved drugs and did bad things and they died doing that stuff, they knew exactly what they were doing. They're going to be held accountable for that. So what we want to do is we want to teach our children that God loves them, has a plan for the life, raise them up in the way that they should go. And as I've been pastoring for many, many years now, I'm like an old man now. Believe it or not, I started pastoring at 22 years old. I've been pastoring almost 18 years. Isn't that amazing? That's by God's grace. That's a long time to be doing something. I have never seen, everybody say capital N, never. Never, I have never seen when a family has raised their children as small children in the ways of the Lord that when they grew up like in six, seven, eight years old, they didn't love Jesus. Now, I've seen children turn their back on God when they were teenagers, but I'm talking legitimately as children. I have always seen them make that transition from being toddlers, little babies, to going to Sunday school and loving Jesus. It's not until 11, 12, 13 that now they'll have to make their own decision. And so the Bible says we're responsible to do our part, and they'll be responsible to do their part. So we're going to pray for some awesome children today. We're going to bless and dedicate them, and then you are going to have the chance to support them, because I know many of you came to do that today, so I'm going to ask that my wife and some of my helpers would come here, and actually one of my uh, children is getting dedicated today, so it's going to be really fun. Let's do it like this. I'll have you announce your name. Zoe Evangeline Sinclair. Ezra Aris Merced. Come on, Ezra! Jonah Christian Cabrales.
last one. Joy Lorraine Wyrostek. You know, the Bible says that our children are precious to the Lord. And each one of these children are precious to God and should be precious to us. We live in a culture that oftentimes treats children as a burden. But these are beautiful children. Can we give it up for these children right here? Amen. Yeah. Parents, would you guys turn around and face me, please? We just want to say as a church that we are so thankful for each one of you. Are you okay, buddy? This is mine right here crying. What's happening? What's happening? He doesn't want it. This is the most funniest thing. Every time, every time we ask him to come up and do something, in his mind, he's going to get baptized. And, and baptism to my son is a terror. Like he is so afraid of going into the water, into the tank. Can I just have a parent moment right now? You're not going to get baptized. We're just going to pray for everybody. Is that okay? Okay, you're going to be all right? You want to say John 3.16? Just show them that you know it. Let's say John 3.16. John 3.16. For God who loved the world, who gave his only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish, have eternal life. Amen. <laughs> Woo! Raise them up. Raise them up. Okay. Can you guys make it just a little bit here? We'll center a little bit. Thank you. So, you know, there are just miracle children up here, and each one is so special. And parents, we just want to tell you thank you for sharing your children with our community here at the church. And um, Chris and Monique, we know you've had some uh, difficulties with her health, but how is she doing now? She, she, She's much better. She's pretty much almost 100% now. Hey, let's give it up for a healthy baby. We love you. Amen. And you know... If you're here today and you're looking for a Gerber baby to be in your ads, this one right here, can you just turn around? Just show them again. Just show them. This is the Gerber baby. That is your plump baby right there. You know, not to be stereotypical, but it's normally the gringos that be putting out the big babies, and the Latinos make the little babies, you know what I'm saying? But this is like a good big gringo baby right here. Oh, yes. It's so precious. And you know what? I just have just got to know you a little bit, and I think you're just the coolest dude around. And I love your mom. Oh, go ahead. I love them. I love them. And this one right here, she's just going to stay fancy. That's what her little shirt says. We love her. Stay fancy like Nancy. I really, I think this is the first one that looks like our, our um, her mom, my wife, their mom. She looks like you, not my mom. I get it all confused. Anyways. Guys, we want to thank you. Thank you for letting us pray for you to bless your families. And as a church, we're going to support you. In just a few moments, we're going to let everybody come up, take pictures, and love on you. But I'm going to ask that our elders and deacons would come and just kind of stand around these families right now and believe God for all that he has in store for these children to become to fruition, to come to pass. Oh, this is little one. You're looking right at your daddy. Father, we thank you for each one of these precious children right now. We pray that you bless them, that you keep them, you give them great health, Father, that you help the parents, Father, to raise them right, to teach them your ways. May they always know you and love you, Father. May they be obedient. May you keep them safe and healthy, Father God. May they be an example to those around them. 
Lord, may they always know your presence, that you will never leave them nor forsake them. God, I pray that the families, God, that are here, even extended families, will support them, Father. Help out, Lord, and be good examples so that we don't have to say, uh, don't go to Uncle so-and-so's house. They're crazy and don't live for Jesus. God, we pray for extended family to even live for Jesus and for them to help and support raising these beautiful children in the ways of the Lord. And God, I know you'll keep your word that as they get older, they're going to choose that path. And so, Lord, we thank you today for bringing all these children here. Bless them and their families. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, let's stand up to our feet and bless the Lord for these beautiful families. Come on, bless the Lord. Clap your hands. And now would you come up and take pictures with them? Come and shake hands. God bless you. Tell somebody you love them. All right, all right, party people. Let's grab a seat and get it on. Make sure you make time today to hang out with those who had their babies dedicated. Buy them lunch. Take them out. 
take more pictures with them. We volunteer our professional photographer, uh, Rudy. If you, uh, any families want more professional photos, we give those to you as a gift here uh, in the lobby or even out there in the back on our platform. It's always available for you guys. I want to talk to you about politics real quick because I love you and I know it's been going on. I want you to look at this scripture right here, John 13, 34 through 35. If you're like me, you've been grieved by what you've seen online, Facebook, in the media, and a lot of what's going on in our nation. I want to speak to you as your pastor. This is what I want to say. Number one, do you believe that this church is one of the best churches in the city? Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, then why you believe that is because of our diversity. One of the reasons has got to be the diversity of this church. Most churches are predominantly one culture, all Hispanic, all African American, all Anglo. I literally only know of about 10 churches, 10 churches, over 200 people. We run about 225, 250 with both of our services. I only know about 10 churches in all this city that have a congregation like this. And I know that is sad, and we should do better. But listen, you are here because you know you have felt loved. If you're an African-American, you have felt loved as a Latino. You have felt loved as an Anglo, as an Asian. You have felt loved from whatever part of the world you have come from. And here's the thing. Do not let this separate you from what God is doing. Do not let what is happening in this nation separate you from what God is doing here. Don't retreat to an echo chamber of those who say just what you want to hear. Because it's real easy, if you don't want to be around Trump supporters, to go run to a predominantly all-Latino congregation and be like, we voted Trump for immigration. I mean, we voted Hillary for immigration, and we're so mad at all the Trump supporters. That's real easy to do that. Just like it would be easy for me as an Anglo to go run to the suburbs and go to a predominantly white church and go, yeah, all those Hillary supporters, they don't know what they're doing. Hey, go Trump. We do not want to let this tear us apart now. Metro Praise International is the answer to this city and this nation's problems. The Bible says the church is the pillar and the foundation for truth in its culture. We represent the truth here. Those of us who are Republican, those of us who are Democrat, those of us who have differing opinions on how things should be done, we have the same opinion on Jesus. We have the same opinion on what it means to live holy. I was grieved by a Facebook message, not by the woman in the message itself, but what it represented. She's an African-American woman in our church, and she brings her children here every Wednesday to our King's Kids program. And by the way, we have around 70 to 80 on average that come every week, and it's an amazing uh, sign of what God is doing in our children, red and yellow, black and white, all precious in his sight, just to let you know that. Well, anyways, I was back there in the sound booth, and she must have came underneath the sound booth, and her kids were on top of the staging right there. And I didn't see her. She didn't see me, but I saw the kids and went back to doing what I did. But this precious woman, she wrote me, and she said, you know, my children said that they saw you, and I didn't get a chance to see you and say hi. But if you saw me, and you th saw me walk past you, and you think that I was ignoring you, I want to let you know that I wasn't ignoring you. Now, why would she think that she had to write something like that? Well, because we've disagreed online over some politics, right? But I wrote back to her. I said, sister, I didn't see you either. And I said, even if I would have saw you and you walked by, I would have thought the best of you. 
I wouldn't think that you would ignore me because we disagreed on politics. And, 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 if, and if I walked past you and, and you saw me but I didn't see you, I would know that you would think the best of me. And see, what needs to happen is we need to go back to thinking the best of each other. We, we, we shouldn't be afraid to stand upon our convictions. I do not want a church of one voice or of just one conviction. We will have differences, and those differences will make us stronger. There is unity in our diversity. There is strength in our differing opinions. That is what makes collaborative efforts so successful. That is why the greatest people in business bring those of differing opinions alongside. So what I want to say to you is what this scripture says. Let's lift up Jesus and let's show the world that we love Jesus. And if we have different opinions, we're going to support each other in having different opinions and stand for what is right. Amen? We're going to stand for what's right. Can we all agree today that we want God to bless America? Now, I want to tell you, as a Republican, I've never hidden that from you, that I was disgusted with Barack Obama's presidency. I was disgusted with it from day one. But you never heard me say he was not my president. You never heard me ridicule him and mock him. All that you ever heard me do as your pastor is whenever issues came up, if he supported them and they weren't in the Bible, I would do just like I did towards the Catholic Church. Just like how the Catholic Church took a licking today, I gave him my lickings. And this is the same thing I want to tell you. You better be sure there ain't no favoritism with me when it comes to politicians. They bring any of that crazy stuff. I will speak against it in this pulpit. Can I hear an amen? Because I was disappointed by so many of my friends in this city of large churches. And I was looking at their websites. And I was looking at their Facebook pages and keeping up with them. And not a peep about anything. And you got to understand, I know these men. And I know they have opinions. But they are afraid of losing people. And that's why they don't tell you what they do behind closed doors. And I would rather you say, well, my pastor's Republican. I disagree with some of those stances. But I know that's a man of God. And at least he's been honest with me and I know the kind of pastor that I have then me vote Republican talk about you Democrats behind your back and then get you in the church and smile and just act like there ain't no differences no there are differences and we need to work through them but I'm honest enough to tell you mine so that means if I can tell you mine you can tell me yours but just the moment you get sassy on Facebook you start burning the flag and supporting those who do I'm going to hide your feet I don't got time for that that's your freedom to do that but I'm not here to fight on Facebook and I'm not here to burn the flag I went back and looked at my post from November 2012 when, when, when President Obama got voted back in. And you know what I said? Basically what I'm saying right now. Pray for him, pray for our country, and let's change the world inside the church. Can I get an amen? That's what we need to do. As a new command I give you, Jesus speaking, love one another as I have loved you. That's what we're going to change the world with is our love and respect for each other. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Can I get an amen? If you have come here as a minority and haven't felt love for me, I am sorry. Give, come up afterwards and I'll give you the biggest white boy hug you have ever had in your life. I will make it feel so awkward. I will stalk you on Facebook and keep liking your stuff to show you how much I love you. Are you listening to me? If you're here and you're Hispanic and you haven't felt love from the African Americans or vice versa, or if you're Filipino or you're Asian, then we apologize to you. We are going to get to you. We're going to love you. And if we haven't done it good, you show us how to do it better. But the point is, this is our standard. We're going to love God and we're going to love people. 
I'm going to love you in a better way, in a more real way, than I can ever love a politician. Donald Trump is not going to come to my house, cook, cook me some, you know, arroz con candules and have a good time with me. That's what my friends here are going to do. And, you, and you know, you're not going to have Hillary Clinton come to your house today and, uh, you know, give you an encouraging word. But that's what I will do. So we need to love each other now. We've had our voices. We've made them known. Our church actually last Sunday had a God in politics discussion where we talked about abortion and all these things. We've given our, chance, our church a chance to speak its own opinion. We put out the microphone, and we let everybody say what they had to say. We have done our part. Now it's time to unite and fight the forces that are trying to tear us apart. So I pray that you are with me in loving each other. I pray that you're with me in loving the, the immigrant, the people who have come. We do not kick out people in this church. Some people have said that maybe Trump's going to do that. But listen, this church has never kicked out people whether you have papers or not. We are not the La Migra. Are you listening to me? We're not the La Migra. We do not do that in this church. Our, our opinions on how we move forward in, a, in a immigration may differ with some, but you got to remember, I've learned my immigration stance from a former illegal immigrant that's now a conservative. That, that, you take it up with Ishmael Lopez, right? This is one of my good friends in the church. But my point is this, is that we're going to love every single person that's here. Amen? And if you need a place to stay and they hunting you down, you can come stay in my house. Amen. We'll get your back. And I mean that seriously because I don't believe it needs to be done the wrong way. I believe we need safe borders and we need to let immigration happen the right way. I believe that. And I wish that everyone here can stay and have a great life. That's what I believe personally. Okay. So let's now go forward in love. If you disagree with me more, who can I have you talk to? Uh, Curtis, just raise your hand up in the back. Go see Curtis. <laughs> if you disagree. <laughs> If you disagree with me, just go see that man. Tell him all the different ways you're upset with me. But other than that, I'm going to love you. Amen. Can I get an amen for that? Let's get into the word. If y'all ready to do it, somebody say, let's do it. Is it hot up here or is it just me? It got really hot up here for a minute. I want to talk to you today out of the book of John. We're supposed to be reading it as we go along. How many read John chapter 5 to be ready for this message? About four of you. Okay, let me help you understand what happens in church now, okay? I preach, you read the Bible. Does everybody get that? So I preach, you read the Bible. Now this next week, I want you to read John chapter 6. Do you know how much time that will take out of your day? If you just get the audio, John chapter 6, it will take three minutes. Three minutes. Can you all give three minutes to the Bible this week? Okay, that way when you come to the church, you'll be like, I've read my Bible. I understand it. Preach it to me, Pastor. Okay, so we can do this together. Can we do it next week together? Amen. Do you want to get well is today's message out of the Gospel of John. We've been going through the seven signs of John. We're going to go through it all the way to the end of the year. If you're doing your homework, you'll be reading your Bible with me. All uh, messages are already online if you've missed any. And today's notes are online as well as our Facebook page. Turn with me here to John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. This is talking now about Jesus' third sign. We've already gone through two signs. This is Jesus' third time. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is an Aramaic, is called Bethesda, and is surrounded by five, five colonnades, five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Everybody get a visual of what's going on? Jesus is going here to like a pool. It's covered by five colonnades or surrounded 
surrounded by five colonnades, and they're there because they're sick, they're blind, they're lame. Now go on to verse 5. One who had been there for, uh, was there, he was invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in that condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Everybody say, do you want to get well? Come on, that's what the name of the message today. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me in, into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, pick, uh, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Everybody say walk. Thank you. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. That day was uh, that day it took place was the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. So they're upset he's carrying his mat because Jewish people shouldn't be doing work on the Sabbath. You're going to find out that wasn't even really a God-made law. It was a man-made law. But they got upset nonetheless. He replied back to him, the man who made me well told me to pick up your mat and walk. I think I should listen to that guy. So they asked, who is this fellow who told you to pick up uh, and walk, pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had actually no idea who it was, for Jesus had just slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning. Everybody say, stop sinning. Look at your neighbor and say, stop sinning. Or something worse may happen to you. Come on. That man, uh, the man then went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Do you want to get well? This is the sermon today. I'm glad that you're here. Third sign of Jesus. In reading the passage, did anybody notice anything that was out of order, peculiar, different, strange? I'm going through it slowly. Does anybody notice anything? Something maybe between here and here. Yes, we're missing verse 4. Where is verse 4 in the passage? Did I forget to copy and paste it? No. Now, this is good that you would have read on your own because you would have maybe noticed this and came here with the question, Pastor, why is there a verse missing in my Bible? Well, this is a good time as we go through a series like this to explain to you how you got your Bible. How you got your Bible is that disciples wrote down what they knew that Jesus had spoken and that they had historically witnessed, and then they put those together and compiled the Gospels, the stories of Jesus. And then over time, they began to tell the stories, or, or rather give us the teachings based on those stories that we should do. So these became epistles. So the Gospels are the stories about Jesus' life, and then the epistles are the letters that apply the Gospels to our life. Well, in the time of translation, a lot of mistakes were made. At this point, the atheist goes, aha, see, I told you, Christians, your Bible's corrupted. It's like the phone game. We sit in a circle. I whisper one thing to somebody. They whisper it again, whisper it again, whisper it again. By the time it comes around, it's all messed up. Nobody knows what it says. Well, that's not true at all. The thing about the Bible that makes it so different than the phone game is that the Bible was being copied and shared all over the world at different times. So if you ever thought about the Da Vinci Code, maybe the Catholic Church changing something, how would we know if they did or not well the idea is even in modern times right now we're finding manuscripts that were buried before uh, Roman Catholicism ever came into power we're finding manuscripts that have never even been touched and they agree with the ones we already have does that make sense so if you have a Bible from around say the 1600s and and you think that that's been corrupted and now in the 21st century we find a document buried somewhere from around the first century the 90s the 80s of the first century and it happens to match the same document of the 1600s do we understand there was no change there it, it was buried 
It couldn't have been changed because the Bible was spread quickly and fast. If you tried to bundle them all together and go, look, I'm going to change this, what would you do with the guy who went off over here to Capernaum and then went off over here to India? What would you do with those manuscripts? You couldn't bring them all together. It was the Muslims who actually did this. Many people uh, don't understand. The Muslims took all of their manuscripts and they required everybody to bring them together. They codified one version and then they burned the rest. That was under Uthman and his reign with the Muslim empire. That is what the Muslims did. That is not what the Christians did. The Christians allowed free transmission of their text, and wherever we found differences, we would look towards what would be more historically accurate. Well, that's where we get now to verse number four. Verse number four, as the translations went on in time, verse number four got added in. And what verse number four is, is a description of what happened at that pool. Why people would be laying their blind, their lame, and their paralyzed there. So just take, for example, that passage, and I'll show you what it looks like in the King James, which is more of a modern version, and you can see it right here. In the King, uh, it's more of an uh, ancient version. Look at the King James. As I tap on, if it would just open, there we go. The King James, John chapter 5, verse 4. Why has it got to be naughty right now? There we go. Boom. Mm. Please. Thank you. No, that naughty, dirty little thing. There we go. There we go. Even pastors have mistakes at times. There we go. Here's verse 4 in the King James. For an angel went down at certain seasons into the pool and troubled the water. Whoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatever disease he had had. Now, why does the NIV skip that? Well, if you have a good Bible version like I do right here, you can kind of see why it skips it. And so you, I touch on it, and it says, some manuscripts here include, or this part right here, and it tells you, you know, what's going on. But why this version doesn't include it, let me go here. I can tap on it, is that the older manuscripts did not have it. Now, this may seem a little confusing, so track with me right here. King James and versions like that are older translations coming from 1611. So they're older than the NIV. The NIV, like I use today as a translation, didn't get translated to the 1980s. So what came for first, the 1600s or the 1980s? Okay, but now watch where this gets a little bit confusing. As we've done that archaeology that I was just teaching you about and how we still discover it, we have discovered from the 1600s to the 1980s literally thousands of more manuscripts. And these manuscripts are actually older in time than what the King James used. So even though the King James is older as a translation than the NIV, the manuscripts that it used are earlier than the NIV. The NIV is taking use of the best manuscripts that we have found to the closest time of Jesus. Does everybody get where I'm going here? And those manuscripts actually leave out verse 4. Now, why do you think verse 4 would ever got put in there as the manuscripts went and got older, as they were copied more? Well, this has happened about three times in our Bible. This place right here, John chapter 8 as well. Some of you will be disappointed to know that this is also one of them, and you'll see it here. You see how the John chapter 8, it's all um, italicized right there? You see how it starts italicized? But the rest of the Bible right there is not italicized. Do you get that? Is how many of you are up today? 
Would you like me just to go back to singing songs with Adam up here? Are you ready to learn your Bible? Okay, do you see that? Now, the reason why that is is because this part of John chapter 8 is similar to John chapter 5, verse 4. And there is another part, Mark chapter 16, starting around verse 9. You see the same thing. Now, notice here. It's one type of text, and it starts to slant. And even here, they put a little note that says, the earliest manuscripts and some other, some other ancient witnesses do not have these verses. Everybody get that? So there are three major places in the Bible where this kind of uh, transmission error, as what we would call it, has happened. One is in John chapter 5, verse 4, where we are learning right now today. The other is in John chapter 8, with the woman caught in adultery. That's the story of, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. And then in Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. Why do we think the earlier versions don't contain this, but the older ones do? Now, before we answer that question, let's see what we're dealing with. Some people now want to say to us as Christians, see, I told you, your Bible's messed up. It's all wrong. Well, let's first just have a discussion about this. We're the ones putting it in our Bible. We're not trying to hide it from you. We actually put it right there. If you have a Bible, you'll see it. Does everybody see it? So if some atheist comes to you and is like, do you believe the Bible? And you're like, yeah, I believe the Bible. You believe all the Bible? I believe all the Bible. Is it God's holy word? It's God's holy word. Well, then turn to John chapter 5, verse 4. And then you're like, oh, I, I guess I can't. See? It's, it's, a, it's a bad book. It's a mistake. And then you'll feel like all bad. You'll be like, oh, man, I never knew that. But you never actually looked at your Bible where it told you why John chapter 4, uh, verse 4 is not there. Does everybody get that? It, it was because of your ignorance that someone got to twist that on you. It's not, it's not anything to do with the truth. We know this. Now, now, here's why this is okay for us, why I still believe the Bible is the perfect holy word of God, missing nothing. Because the problem isn't, that we have a hundred piece puzzle and we only have 95 pieces and we're missing five pieces and we're just wondering what in the world was going on. What we have with our manuscripts is a hundred and ten pieces of a puzzle for only a hundred puzzle uh, design. We have more than less. Does everybody get it? Now imagine you want to put together a hundred piece puzzle right now. You want to put it together. Would you rather have 95 pieces or 110 pieces? If you have 95 pieces, you'll never put the puzzle together. It will never happen. You'll be like, there's missing parts right there. I don't know what happened. If we were missing parts of our Bible, you might be like, well, did Jesus raise from the dead? What happened right here? You know, like, did Peter walk on one? Like, what happened? But that's not what you have. What you have in these three part portions of your Bible is extra historical information that over time the Christians put into their Bible so that that we would not forget it. And as now that we are being more legit with wanting exactly what the authors originally wrote, we're okay with telling you these things because we're like, this probably was added in by the editor. And so we go back to John chapter, uh, this is not even my message, it's not even the introduction to my message, but your blank stares have kept me here for a while, okay? So it's, I blame this on you today if you don't get out of here for a while, okay? Uh, John chapter five, verse four, what we believe most likely happened was, is as the man was, uh, as they translated this, and some manuscripts, not all, and remember the ones that don't have it are the older ones. That's why we side with the older ones. We generally side with the older ones and the majority ones, okay? And, and so what was happening here is probably the editor wanted you to know why 
John was telling you a story about people around the colonnades. Like, why would sick people be there? He tells you why they would be there, because there would be an angel that would come down, do, do so forth and so on. And probably what happened was the people translating saw the note and go, oh, this is supposed to be in there. But it was really just a note, and they just take the note, and they put it in there. That's it. Now, once again, does this change any major doctrine of the Bible? Do we have any of these that pertain to the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, the message of salvation? Is there like one big chunk missing somewhere like John 3.16, the whole thing is gone? No, these are always in the context of historical events. The same thing with the woman caught in adultery. There was a story, and you got to remember, John even tells you this in John chapter, uh, let me just say it like this, in John chapter 20, uh, verse uh, 26, I believe, that, that place where we're going to get to right here. Matter of fact, let me go to uh, my notes. I have it right here. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and onward, John says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe. So the, 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 the teaching of the adulterous woman, John chapter 8, was another sign, a miracle of Jesus. And most scholars believe it's valid. It's 100%. It happened. It was true. It's just John didn't put it in his story. And so what began to happen was someone wrote down the story, and it began to float along. And people over time said, man, we don't want to forget about this story. Let's put it into our Bible. Because you got to understand, books are very expensive. Most people are illiterate. You don't have a lot of things to waste when it comes to books. So they actually put a lot of things in those kinds of books. And that was how it got there. But it doesn't change that it happened. It doesn't change that your Bible fill your Bible. How many just want to go back to believe in your Bibles? Your Bible want me to preach now. But now do you understand why verse 4 is not there? Okay, so if somebody comes and tries to beat you over the head and say verse 4 is not there because the Bible is corrupted, what are you going to tell them? Come talk to my pastor. That's probably what you're just going to. I'm just, I don't want to talk to you about this. My pastor told me a whole bunch of things about this. I don't even remember. Just go talk to him. Let me just Facebook him right now. Hey, pastor, somebody that me about verse 4 is. I know you said something about it. Can you tell me again? Such a hard job. Such a hard. Can we do Pastor Appreciation Day over again? <laughs> Can I get to the message here today? Just study, study your Bible. Oftentimes we want Jesus to do things for us because of our great needs, like this sick man by the pool. Yet when we are asked if we want to get well, we respond with excuses. That's exactly what the man did. But thankfully Jesus looks beyond our excuses and sees our need and does the miracle anyway. He just asks us to trust him and take him at his word. I pray today that our faith will be encouraged and changed and come aligned with God's desires so we can see all that he has for us. How many want to get well? in this place today. Amen. Let's look at the review of the seven signs. Number one sign was Jesus turning water into wine. How many were here for that message? That was a good one. That talks about God changing the areas of our life into what he wants them to be. Last week was about healing the royal official's son. This teaches us that we shouldn't be too proud to ask God for a miracle. The royal official had a lot of things. He was over. He was the boss. He was in charge. But he fell to his knees and asked Jesus to do a miracle. That's how we should be. Today we're going to learn about the healing of the paralytic. The rest of the messages will come later. Those who are new we're learning the signs of Jesus seven major signs in the book of John that show us who Jesus is next week feeding of the 5,000 Jesus walking on water healing of the blind man the raising of Lazarus from the dead and as I read you that scripture that's why John wrote the book of John was to show you a bunch of cool things Jesus did and then prove to you that he's the son of God that he is the Messiah how many are ready for the message all right look at your neighbor and say do you want to get well 
Come on. The first thing that we need to think about as we break down these verses is that Jesus loves to come to the hurting people and where others have been abandoned and left pretty much to die. Jesus loves to come to those places and change their situations. Jesus could have passed right by that pool and went to where everybody was partying at another pool. He could have went to the pool party, but he went to the sick pool. He went to the place where people were busted and disgusted, where they were lame, where, where they were literally left to die. In those days, they didn't have like how we have hospices and mental uh, wards and clinics. They had literally places where they would just put crazy people to be, like out by the tombs. They would put those people by the tombs, crazy people. Sick people, they would just put out there to beg and to try to make a living so they wouldn't have to be so responsible for them. And here you see a man that had been crippled for many years. The Bible says here that he had been crippled for, uh, you know, since he was born, and now he was 38 years old. And you see that Jesus wasn't afraid of that problem. Many times in our life, we think that God's afraid of our problems, you know, that somehow he's going to walk away from us when we make mistakes, that he's going to abandon us. You know, our family left us here to die, and so Jesus must not care about us. That's not what we learn about in the Bible. We learn about where other people leave us, where other people drop us off, where where other people abandon us. Jesus says, I got your back at that time. Jesus can oftentimes be missed in our lives when all you're looking at is the popularity of your friends. Because, you see, Jesus may be there trying to tell you to do things that your friends don't want you to do. But if you're having such a high time in life, you may not hear Jesus. But oftentimes, if you're like this man, you'll hear Jesus when everybody else has left you alone. So if you're in a place right now where you feel you're left alone, you feel like you've been abandoned, you've been hurt, you're actually in a perfect opportunity, a perfect place for Jesus to do a miracle in your life. Because maybe now for the first time you'll stop relying upon other people to do what only God can do. You'll stop relying upon your job to make it happen. You know, when that recession hit, I saw people that always relied upon their job hitting their knees at these altars because they realized my boat at the lake, my RV, my six-bedroom house, my million-dollar business can be taken like that. I need something more stable than that. The next thing that we learn is not everyone who is sick wants to get well. See, this is the redonkulous part of the story that most of us don't even pay attention to, but I think we need to go back and look at. Jesus walks to this place where people are sick, they're abandoned, they've been there for a long time, and look what Jesus does. Jesus asks this person, do you want to get well? That almost just makes Jesus look rude and inconsiderate. Like, Jesus, that's a dumb question to ask somebody that's sick, that's been lame for 38 years. But listen, if you've ever dealt with people in a hospital situation as I have as a pastor, if you've ever dealt with homeless people as I've dealt with, if you've ever dealt with depressed people as I've had to deal with drug-addicted people, I'm telling you right now, you really got to look them right in the eyes and go, do you want to get well? Is this really what you want? Because some people let their sickness define their life situation and their sickness becomes their identity and they don't want to lose that sickness because then they won't have their identity. You see, they've always been that hurt, bitter person. And so now you say, do you want to get better or you want to stay bitter? No, I want to stay bitter because that's how I get likes on Facebook. You ask them, you know, hey, I've been seeing that you've been dating all these jokers and then you keep getting the same bozo but just in different, different faces and places, but it's the same one over and over again. Young lady, do you want to date a hero and, get, and drop them zeros? She's like, no, 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 because I want a person that looks like this. And all the guys who look like this go to the club. And so I don't want to date a guy that in the church that may look lame. I want a guy like this so they love their sickness. 
Some of you today want God to bless you financially, and yet every time you get out of debt, every time you get that tax check, you pay off your credit card, but then you go right back into debt. You go right back into debt, and God is looking at you. Do you want to be financially stable? I mean, do you really want this, or is that just something you complain about all the time? It's kind of like an employer going to their employee. Do you really want to raise? Do you really want to step up in this company? Do you really want to do something that, that's going to make a difference? Well, then get off your holy backside and start working. Come on, because Jesus had that kind of sass. Jesus asked a sick man, do you want to get well? And what that tells me is that Jesus isn't going to play games with you. Jesus is going to get right to the heart of who you are. Not everyone who's sick wants to get well. Are you one of those people that want to stay sick, or do you want to get well? you got to have faith today. The next thing that we learn is that because Jesus is our healer, Jesus came to reveal the kingdom of God. we got to stop and ask ourselves these questions while we're reading through the book of John. Why is John showing us these particular miracles? See, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they tell us about a lot of miracles all over the place. Jesus, uh, John only tells us about seven. Seven. That's why it's called the seven signs of John. Why does John pick out these very particular stories to, to talk about and then to say, now believe in God. Look at this, now believe in God. Because he's telling us these stories are showing us the kingdom of God. Jesus came to bring the kingdom from heaven to earth. And what this shows us right here is that the kingdom of God is stronger than all the problems we face, no matter how long we've been facing them. See, some of us right here aren't even 38 years old. Many of you guys are young. And all you know is Chicago the way it is. You don't know a Chicago with unlocked doors. You don't know a Chicago with young men doing good things in the streets. You don't know a city like that. And so what Jesus wants to do is ask you, do you believe Chicago can get well? And then he wants to show it to you to prove that's what heaven looks like. I'm still bigger than hell. If you've seen hell on earth from that joke of the devil, Jesus said, I can bring heaven on earth by my Father. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And so Jesus is looking at us going, do you want to see what heaven looks like? Do you want to see what heaven looks like in this community? Do you want me to reveal to you what it looks like? Because so often we're so, we're, we're so just looking forward to dying and going to heaven. We don't understand God wants to bring heaven on earth. He wants to use us to change the world. And what I love then is that when this man gets healed and God does the miracle, Jesus looks past this man's excuses. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But I want to just summarize the story to you. When, when the man actually gets healed, it's the religious people that get upset. And they tell him, you shouldn't be carrying your mat on the Sabbath. And you got to understand, there was no law against carrying your mat on the Sabbath. That mat would be just like a little carpet they would sit on not to get dirty. And they had rules in the Sabbath, like rules not to go too far from their home or rules not to work. And those were true rules that these men had to abide by, but this wasn't one of them. But understand this, the people of Jesus' day, as we talked about before in the baby dedication, had gotten so twisted that the, men, that the, the rules that these men made, they put right in line with God's rules. And so if you didn't follow men's rules, you weren't following God. And what Jesus was saying is, I don't give a rip or a flip about what y'all been making up calling my rules. I'm going to break every single one of your rules, and I'm going to do what my God told me to do. And see, you got to be willing to break traditions sometimes. you got to be willing to break cultural barriers sometimes. You know, you've got to step out of your past into your future, and you've got to get determined that no matter who I offend, not that I'm going to purposely try to offend you, but if I'm going to follow God and lose my friends, I'd rather have God with me and the crowd against me than to have the crowd for me and God against me. Are you with me? Do you want the traditions of men, or do you want the things of God? Do you want to do it just because Grandma did it, or do you want to do it because Jesus does it? And so we learn right here that this man, he said, I'm going to do what Jesus did. 
And what I love then about Jesus is that he looks at the man. You know, he's healed him. The guy don't even know who he is. He finds Jesus, and they're talking. And then Jesus is like, listen, don't you be sinning, or a worse thing's going to come on you. A lot of us don't want to hear that from Jesus, do we? We just want to get healed, get some money in life, have a good, have a good day. Like, Jesus, you did enough for me. It's like, shh, shh, shh. we're good. Just leave, it, just leave it like that, Jesus. Don't say anymore. But Jesus is like, you can't shush me. I'm going to tell you what else I got to tell you. I came to heal you. I came to give you a great day. But I also came to tell you, stop sinning or you're going to hell. Because everybody who got healed in Jesus' ministry could still go to hell in the end. And so often we only think about just these temporary blessings, as I've said before, and we forget that there's an eternity at stake, a judgment to come. So yes, I want heaven on earth, but I want it God's way for his sake. And then lastly, this man kept his testimony and kept telling others about Jesus. How many are ready for the message? Somebody say, preach it. I've gotten here as fast as I can. The first thing I want to ask you is, do you want to get well? Write down three things in your notes or put them in your heart right now. Three things that are in your life that shouldn't be there, that you want to change, write them down, look at them, think about them, and ask yourself this question, because I believe Jesus is asking you, do you want to get well? Pastor, I struggle with internet pornography, okay? Jesus is looking at you. Do you want to get well? Pastor, I, I've been making wrong choices. Got a lot of young people here. Pastor, I've been making wrong choices with my friends. I've been going places I shouldn't be. Do you want to get well. Pastor, our marriage, my husband and I, we're not getting along. We're on the verge of divorce, and, and, and we're just not seeing eye to eye. Do you want to get well? Pastor, I used to be in discipleship, and now I don't want to do it. I'm so busy. I'm a busy little bee. The mayor just called me this week and said, hey, clear your calendar. You need to help me change the world, and I'm just so important and busy. I, I'm also a heart surgeon. I do brain surgery. I just don't have time for discipleship. Do you want to get well? Stop excuses. Do you want to get well? That's the first thing. Because the man responded to Jesus with all these excuses. But Jesus wants to know, do you want to get well? The second thing as you're thinking about those three things is, if Jesus makes you well, are you willing to obey Jesus rather than men? So Jesus makes you well right now. Jesus says, I will set you free from the love of that peer pressure. I will set you free from needing to look cool in front of others. Are you now going to obey God when you go home? Are you going to obey God when you go to work tomorrow, or are you going to laugh at a dirty joke around the water cooler? Right? What, what are you going to do once Jesus makes you well? I know for me, Jesus, when you set me free, I want to stay free. And the book of John says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. Can I get an amen on that? That's John chapter 8. And that's number three. Do you want to live holy? Because let's say you use Jesus. You can't really, but let's say you want to try to use him just to get to heaven. Get out of jail free card. Get out of hell free card. Do you understand that God is holy? Like, what is this all about for you? Like, why are you here? I think what this was showing us is that, yes, the man was busted and disgusted in this way, and we all would feel sorry for him, right? Like all of us would look at this man and go, man, I feel so bad. You know, maybe his, his arms you know, are crippled. Maybe he's missing part of his leg, whatever, you know. And we would all feel bad for him. But then Jesus is saying, as he says to the healed man, stop sinning or worse things will come on you. That applies to all of us now. Because now it's like, 
you know, we compare ourselves to others going, well, I'm, I'm better than this guy. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not like a, a partier. I, I don't waste my money on drugs, pastor. I'm a good citizen. I help out. I do things in the community. And we think we're better than those who really need the miracle. But Jesus says to all of us, after we're walking and talking and we're in the normal, quote, unquote, state of things, God says to all of us, like he said to that man, stop sinning. Lest something worse comes on you. So God's looking to me right now. Like take for example, I was, I was here at this pool. I was on drugs, high school dropout. This is my story, right? And Jesus changes me at 18 years old. And now I've been living for the Lord, you know, over 20 years. Well, Jesus is looking at me today going, Joe, stop sinning. Don't you ever go back to that lifestyle or something worse will happen to you. So do we take that serious? And then lastly, do we want to be a bold witness for Jesus? Because this is the part that gets me right here. This is the part that gets me. The man didn't even know at first it was Jesus. So it shows me that Jesus was such a humble king. He doesn't come into our world. He doesn't come like these Hindu gurus, which disgust me, by the way. I've been to some of their ashrams, their holy places, and they literally let these people kiss their feet, put these, uh, you know, garnishes all over them, these flowers and pompous, and it just, I just, it disgusts me. And then they say like, oh, we're just like a modern day Jesus. And I'm like, no, you're not. Jesus was the opposite of you. By you claiming to be God on earth, you treat people like they're beneath you. They will. I've been in India. They'll, they'll have these people that will do all their errands for them, beg on the side of the road to give them money because they believe this guru is a God-man. Are you listening to me? This is disgusting to me. Yet the true God-man, God in the flesh, walks among us not as a pompous king but as a lowly servant. And the Bible says there was nothing about him that would have attracted us to him. So when he's passing through the crowds, you don't even know who he is. So imagine you being this guy in this situation. Your life is messed up. It's been messed up. You're hurting. But all of a sudden, someone is talking to you. Someone is validating you as a person, giving you worth. And then they ask you a crazy question. Do you want to get well? And the first thing you do is you just tell them all your excuses, you know. And you, yeah, I tried. And I can't get to that pool to get a miracle. Nobody helps me. You know, this other homeless guy, he's got two buddies that help him. I don't even even have anybody and then Jesus just cuts through the midst of that says get up take up your mat and walk now imagine you just hear those words you don't even know who's talking to you but you just have a mustard seed side of faith size of faith to go man if he's crazy enough to do all this other stuff he's been doing I'm gonna take him at his word and you pop up and the miracle happens now imagine this You're, you have just had a miracle done in your life by our hum humble king he slips away into the crowd. You're now carrying a mat. People come to stop you and say, what are you doing carrying a mat? And you're like, the guy who healed me told me to carry the mat. And then they go, who is he? And you don't even know who he is. Then Jesus comes back to you and says this. Look at what Jesus said to this man. He says, you know, I see you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And now watch in verse 15. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. He went right back to the people who were like wanting to kill him too. You know when Lazarus got raised from the dead later on in the book of John, they tried to kill Jesus and Lazarus. They're like, we hate you so much, Jesus. We're even going to kill the people you raising from the dead. Now you know these people are crazy. They're plotting at this time, okay? 
Just imagine this. I'm going to put it in our vernacular. Imagine you got healed, and, and the one who healed you told you to wear, wear blue in a Latin king neighborhood. And all of a sudden, all these Latin kings come around and say, who told you to wear blue? Well, a man who healed me, and I don't know who he is. And then they're like, get out of here. They kick you out. They kick you out the neighborhood. And then you go find out it's Jesus. You come back wearing blue to the same neighborhood, the same gangbangers. You go, hey, I know who told me this. It's Jesus, and I don't care what you do to me because the one who made me well is going to save my soul. You see, you can take my body, but you can't take my soul. That's the kind of boldness this man had. I had to put it in gang vernacular. Now you all clap, and you get like, we get it. I didn't get it before, but when you said the Latin king, oh, I get it now. That guy was crazy. I love pastoring a church like this. Amen. Welcome to Metro Praise, baby. Vinny, can you come up here, please? I want you to think about all those things you've learned today. Now put it into action. Who wants to get well? Who wants God to change their life? You'll have two options, basically. Make your excuses and stay where you are the same. Or after you've made all of your excuses, after you've said all the things you can't do, you take Jesus at his word and you let him change you. That's it. You could say right now, well, pastor, you know, that's a, that's a good message on Sunday, but, you know, I've tried this Jesus stuff before, and it didn't really work like that for me. And it, Well, okay, sounds just like the guy making excuses again, right? That's, you can do that. You can be there for another 38 years if you want to. Or you can hear the word of the Lord coming to you today. Get up, take up your mat, and walk. See, at some point, your breakthrough has got to begin. Why not right now? Why not right now? There was a day I was a smoker, and then there was a day I wasn't a smoker. What made the difference between one day to the next? It was taking Jesus at his word. It wasn't my ability to quit smoking. It was taking Jesus at his word. There was one day I was looking at pornography, and another day I didn't look at pornography. What changed? Was it I went to pornogra uh, uh, porno people anonymous or something and said, oh, I just like porno, and I'm here because my name's Joe, and I need help. No. One step to Jesus changed me. Same thing with drugs and alcohol. I'm thankful for programs and counseling. But what changes people's hearts is Jesus. Jesus still changes lives. And so I want to ask you today, do you want to get well? Because only those who truly want to experience the radical power of God and are willing to do whatever it takes will be changed. And it will happen like that. I still believe in miracles. I still believe in miracles. We have a young lady in this church that loves to tell her testimony all the time. She used to dress like a boy, thought she was a boy, lived like a boy, dated girls like a boy. And in one encounter with Jesus, she gave her heart to the Lord, and she has never been the same since. And if she was sitting next to you right now, you wouldn't even know who she was. I can tell you stories all day long. Our youth pastor used to be in gangs. You know, he, he didn't do it as a youth pastor, but you know what I'm saying. Before he was a youth pastor, in gangs. He was, he was going to die. He was going to die for his gang. But then Jesus touched his heart just like that. Just like that. And then there are those of you who say, well, you know, I'm not a lesbian. I'm not a gangbanger. But you know what? God changes businessmen's hearts just like that. My dad was a businessman tra traveling all around, doing good, being brought to a next level, the next level. He was actually working for Texaco, and he worked with the billionaires and the top investment uh, of that company. And those of you remember in the 70s and 80s, that was the biggest oil company in America. My dad would work with them, drive them around, go to their conferences. But my dad knew he was lost. He knew he didn't know the Lord. And he knew he was religious. He knew he had gone to church. He had seen the Jesus on the cross, but Jesus wasn't here. 
And then they brought him to a small church just like this because he was dating my mom who said, if you want to date me, you got to come to church. And my dad heard a pastor preach just like this, and he said, that's what I want. Get up and walk. He's never been the same since. Lee Strobel used to work for the uh, Chicago Tribune. He has a movie coming out calling the, the Case for Christ, The Case for Faith. His wife became a Christian. It upset him because they were both atheists in college. And he didn't want nothing to do with God. And so he went to the church and he said, Pastor, I'm going to prove this religion wrong. Heard a lot of the things I talked about about the Bible. You know, I'm just going to research this. You know, I'm going to do like what I do for Chicago Tribune. I'm going to find the truth and I'm going to disprove you. And I'll see you here next week. It didn't take a week. It didn't take a month. A year later, after him studying and studying and studying, he converted to Christianity. Wrote the book, The Case for Faith. Why? Because Jesus changed his heart. Jesus showed him in his studies that he is who he said he is. He can still do what he said he can do. These signs, listen, were written for you and I to pray here today and receive our miracle. Are you all ready to get you some of that? Let's stand up. Let's give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Come on. Give it up for Jesus. He's still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come on, somebody tell Jesus you love him. We love you, Jesus. We're grateful, God. We're thankful. Many of us have already seen miracles. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Band, altar workers, would you come? Everybody in this room right now, just raise up your hands and lift up your need to the Lord. What do you want to see God do in your life right now? Say, I believe. Say, I believe and call it out right now. Jesus, I believe you can change me. You can set me free. If you're lost in this place, ask Jesus to save you. Ask Jesus to save you. Confess him as the Lord of your life. Repent of your sins. Right now you'll be saved. Those of you struggling in life with sin, confess it. Be free in Jesus' name. Today is your day of victory. Right now, talk to the Lord. I can't do it for you. I can't do it for you. I'm going to give you 30 seconds before we roll out of this place because God's going to make a way. God's going to make a way for you right now. Jesus is so humble. He'll come to 5405 West Diversity to the third row, second seat, and he will talk to you right now if you want to get well. Come on. Jesus is so humble. He's not going to pass by anybody in this room today. Everybody who wants him, everybody who hears his voice will be saved, will be changed, will be delivered. Most of us here today are not physically crippled. Most of us here today have not been physically abandoned at a pool. But some of us are dealing with depression. Others of us are dealing with sin. Others of us are dealing with bad relationships with our family. And Jesus is saying, that's who I came to help today. Do you want to get well? Come on, 10 more seconds. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Tell him yes. Tell him yes. He'll show you what you need to do right now. He'll put it in your heart. Break up with that person. Lay down the law. Stop doing this. Start doing that. He'll give you the word like he told the man. Pick up your mat. And you got to make a decision. I don't care what people say about me when I walk out these doors because I'm going to be changed. I'd rather have God for me than the world be with me. I'm walking out of here different. Hallelujah. And I will testify. Now, right now, if you're going to testify, raise up your hand and say, use me, Lord. Use me to tell others about you. Use me to tell others about you. I'm not afraid to tell others who has healed me, who has set me free, who has delivered me, who has given me hope, who has taken me out of the, the muck and the mire, out of the dirt. 
put me into a palace, made me a king and a priest unto my God. Come on, we're going to worship just a few moments before we go. Thank you for your patience today on a special day. You make a way. Jesus, just sing it out. A way for me. Yes, you did. I don't have to be here anymore. I don't have to stay the same anymore. Jesus, we believe, we believe, Lord. You made a way for me. You made a way for me. You made a way for me. Would you hold hands in this place like a family before we go? I want to pray for our nation one more time. And then as we get ready to dismiss, if you need prayer for healing, any miracle, we believe God is able. You can meet us at the front and these altar workers will pray for you. But I want us to join hands in this church because I believe God is coming to us as a city. I believe God is coming to us as a city right now, as a nation even. And He's saying, Chicago! Do you want to get well? Do you want to be free from your violence? Do you want to be free from your corruption? And what we want to say back is all of our excuses. Oh God, we've tried church. We've tried politicians. We've tried more police officers. It just doesn't work, God. It just doesn't work. And I can hear Jesus saying, forget all that. Take me at my word and get up. Get up and do what I've called you to do. Let something worse come on you. I believe God is saying that to Chicago today. Would you pray with me before we go for this city and nation? Right now, right now, wherever you see a need, you pray for it right now. If you see a need in the black community, pray for it. In the community of immigration, pray for it right now. You see a need in the corporations, pray for it. In our politics, come on, pray! This is not a whisper meeting. It's a prayer meeting. You made a way, Jesus. You made a way. I pray you change our nation. Bring us back to loving our neighbor as ourselves. Rid us of corruption in politics. Rid us of greed in business. Rid us of the shameful things in entertainment. Change us, God. Turn us right side up again, Jesus. Save our young people. 
Save our high schools. Save our high schools, Jesus. Save our teenagers. Save our streets, oh God. Save them, Jesus. You may. You may. Come on, sing it out. Everybody, everybody, do you believe? He made a way for Chicago. He made a way for this city. You made a way for You On the count of three, we're going to praise Jesus. Are you ready for the biggest shout that you got? We're going to make some noise. One. On the count of three, you're going to lift up your voices and clap your hands for the victory. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Shout out to the Lord. We believe. We believe. Gracias, Señor. Gracias, Señor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Devil, you're a liar. The city belongs to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. My marriage belongs to Jesus. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Slap your neighbor high five and say, I believe God is able. God bless you as you go today. Have a wonderful week. We're going to keep worshiping in this after party. If you need prayer for anything, you come on up. Otherwise, we love you. God bless you. God is in this place. Have a wonderful week. Don't leave the same way you came. Amen. Woo! We're so singing now. Lift your voice and cry. Awesome is our strong God, mighty is our God. And see now, raise your hands and cry. Awesome is our strong God, mighty is our God. Come on, let's sing it again. Sing, sing out. And see now, lift your voice and cry. Awesome is our strong God, mighty is our God. Oh, sing out, oh, sing out, raise your hands and shout out. Awesome is our strong God, mighty is our God. Oh, sing again, sing out, oh, sing out, raise your voice and cry. Awesome is our strong God, mighty is our God. Yeah. Oh, sing out, raise your hands and shout out. Awesome is our strong God, mighty is our God. There is no I.
Jesus, we love you, Lord. In this after party, God, we're just so hungry and thirsty for your presence. For whatever things you've promised us you can do, we believe. Sometimes, God, it doesn't happen in the moment we pray. Sometimes it happens as we leave and go. But by faith, we know we'll never be the same again. By faith, we believe it, God. We hope in what we don't see sometimes, God. We hope in what we don't see. And sometimes we get disappointed in life. But Lord, when we put our hope in you and the things that we don't see, you never, you never let us down. Come on, just sing that out. Oh, you never let us down. Keep that going, Vinny, come on. Oh, you never let us down. There you go, sing it out. No, you never let us down. You never let us down, Jesus. You never let us down. You lift us up every time. 
and you never let us down. No, you never let us down. You lift us up every time. You lift us up every time. You lift us up, you lift us up, God. You lift us up, you lift us up, every time. You never let us You lift us up every time. You never let us down. You never let us down. You never let us down. You lift us up. You lift us up every time.